Luckily for you, the answer to the great question of life, the universe and everything is to be found in this podcast, a worker's guide to everything. Sometimes cans, often bad language, always solid politics. This is the Trademark Belfast podcast. Listen out for trademark regulars and very special comrade guests and fellow travellers talking all things left the island and the world. We remain, as always, anti-sectarian, anti-racist and anti-fascist. Enjoy. Buenigisoltas. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Trademark Podcast number 101. Um, I'm joined today uh, on our Todd, just me and our mate, Connor McCabe. You've heard of Connor McCabe before. Of course, he's been on a couple of our pods. Most recently, we had a good uh, debate about the Communist Manifesto on the anniversary of its publication. Um, and Connor's come today to talk to us about James Connolly and specifically a project that Connor's been working on regarding the the works of James Connolly, the writings of James Connolly. And you're going to find it really interesting because I know I'm, I found it really interesting listening to Connor over the last few months on his uh, journey, on his search. Um, it came from a discussion we had actually about 18 months ago in the office here in Trademark between myself and Connor and, and Sean Byers and a few others about Connor had an idea to develop or write um, an anthology of Irish Marxist writings, which is a really interesting project, which, by the way, which is ongoing. I'm going to get Connor to speak very briefly about that before I ask him back onto another podcast to tell us about that anthology. Um, but it was out of the search for those writings, if you like, that Connor realised something about the so-called collected works of James Connolly, which exist in different spaces, which aren't really the collected works of James Connolly. And we're going to hear a lot about that. But Connor, tell me very briefly first just about the idea for this anthology of Irish Marxist writings and where that idea came from. And, and just very briefly, how far you've got down that road, mate. Yeah. Uh, like, cheers, Stefan. Uh, yeah. Like we had talked about one of the things I would have... I've noticed that there's there's not much kind of understanding of the left socialist stroke kind of Marxist tradition in Ireland. Um, it's mainly kind of Connolly, and then it jumps to the parties who are you know who around today. So SWP, uh, Socialist Party, a Works Party as well, you know. Um, but like there's a long kind of there's a long radical kind of tradition. In Ireland, on the island of Ireland, and um, it's I think it's very important. We think it's it's very important because it it contextualizes where the left comes from, and what you get is a very strong anti-colonial, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, leftist writings going back in various forms, in various forms of radicalism, going back to the seventeen eighties. And um, I think it's quite important because it helps to contextualize James Connolly's writings. Uh, because one of the problems I would see is that Connolly gets thrown in with British Marxism or with, or with kind of European Marxism, French, German, even Russian. Um, and that's not where he belongs. He belongs in terms of Egypt. He belongs in terms of India. He belongs in terms of Poland, actually. And uh, because he's writing from he had come to his own conclusions very early on um, that what was needed was an anti-colonial, anti-imperialist nationalism. And there is a tradition in Ireland of dealing with the so-called social question. So you have writers in the 1840s like Patrick O'Higgins, Brontero O'Brien, the uh, Chartists, who knew that if we had a kind of repeal of the Act of Union of like 1801, um, 
the very conservative capitalist Irish kind of middle class would take over and nothing really would change. So you needed to have the social question, as it's phrased, dealt with. And those, Connolly, those, those, those chartist writers were very prescient because that's exactly what happened, of course, after 1921. But absolutely, on. absolutely. And, 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 you know, there's a great quote from Patrick O'Higgins, uh, who, was a, who was a chartist. He was an Irish chartist. He hated Daniel O'Connell. <laughs> And O'Connell hated him. Um, O'Connell got him uh, kind of blackballed in Dublin. He couldn't get any work. Like, it was really kind of vicious. And um, But, like, he wrote, like, I can't think of the quote now, but it's a quote that is almost, it's the same kind of sentiment as Connolly's kind of famous quote of, if you change the flag over, mm. over kind of Dublin Castle, nothing will change. You have to change the economic, you know, kind of circumstances and the system. In Ireland, it's not enough just to kind of change kind of who was managing it. That even even that itself, I think, is a really interesting um, avenue you've gone down. The idea of Irish chartism and Irish chartist writers as well, because it's not really something that we talk about. It's not really something that we consider to be part of uh, the Irish tradition of Marxist writing and socialist writing. And the fact that I know that you've discovered lots of women writers as well from the eighteen forties and fifties, which are also being lost to history. Yeah, I mean, um, like like probably. The most kind of well known of the unknown writers, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, is uh, is is Anna Doyle Wheeler, who was a fascinating kind of character, and um, I was able to track down her address in London where she passed in 1848. Even her kind of biographers didn't weren't really sure when she died, and was able to just to find her kind of death cert, which gives her kind of address then as well, uh, which was in Camden. But again. A, a fascinating kind of writer because um, she's writing from a feminist socialist uh, point of view and socialist in the 1830s kind of definition of that, which is one which we, which we would see as being maybe maybe more kind of almost not quite utopian, but it's in that kind of realm. Um, very much part of what kind of Larkin, uh, he would have called the, the socialist kind of commonwealth and that idea of a socialist cooperative by Commonwealth, and that's yeah, the kind of vision. Very, for, very much yeah. influenced by that that Owenite world that existed on the left at the time. That idea, even, even here in Ireland, with the cooperative movement and the birth of the idea of common ownership of land and those basic communist ideas. No, I want to. It's fascinating. Yeah. I want. I really want to talk to you. About, I'm going to get you back on to talk about the mm. the, the Marxist anthology because, in even the for those listening, Connor every now and again sends me little little tidbits, and he he releases little tidbits. By the way, just to wind you up on his uh, Insta posts and on his Facebook posts and Twitter as well, just to show you how far he's getting. But we're gonna come back and talk about the Marxist anthology as well and also watch out for it because one day hopefully in the not too distant future it's going to be published and it's going to be fascinating to read and to see because of all those sort of as you said lost traditions of Irish Marxist Irish socialist Irish feminist writings but let's get on to Connolly because as part of your research into the anthology and it happened very very early on as I remember you sort of went I'm not going to accuse you down a rabbit hole but it was a bit of a rabbit hole you kind of thought actually there's something wrong with these people who are telling us they have the collected works of Connolly uh, and very early on, you realised there was something wrong with the claim to own all of his writings. And when did you first notice that? Or did you always kind of suspect that? Yeah, um, I came across an old uh, power drive there recently where I found kind of, I first tried to kind of compile like Connolly's writings back in 2002. And uh, I was just too intimidated by it. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the background. I didn't have the knowledge. And it. And it just kind of, you know, overwhelmed me. And also there was like, 
at the time in kind of labor history kind of circles, um, it had been announced that that Donald McNevin, um, who was with SIP2, was spearheading a a project to publish the complete works of Connolly finally, which, which had been talked about since 1922. And he didn't do it. Uh, and one of the and one of the tragedies of it is that it sucked up all the energy. So in the mid kind of two thousands, if you talked about James Connolly's writings in Irish Labour history circles, it was like, oh no, Donald Nevin, he's doing that. So don't worry about that. Um just in the last year I've had time and energy and no kind of confidence really, just in my own kind of skills as a researcher and as someone who has not only kind of researched, you know, kind of Irish Marxism, has contributed to it in mm-hmm. you know with kind of two books which I'm quite kind of proud of so I feel that I'm not just writing about this kind of tradition I am part of it so if I was to ask you then if I was to ask you like what I know it's a really stupid question but excuse me because oh. I'm going to go what what percentage of writings do you think are contained in the Nevin book and also I'm going to throw this one in because I'm staring into the corner I'm, I'm up in the trademark office here in Belfast I'm staring over the corner at 150 copies of volume two of the collected works of James Connolly produced by um, New Books Publications, which was basically the CPI back in 1988 with an introduction by Michael O'Reilly. And I'm, I'm staring at loads of volume twos over there. What percentage of those two books contain the actual works of, of Connolly? What, and what percentage do you reckon might be is missing from those so-called collected works? Just to well, give I mean, us an idea. You know? Yeah, I mean, um, of, of them, it's mainly kind of extracts, which is the really frustrating thing. So it's not kind of full kind of articles. Um, of like full kind of articles at this moment in 2023, there's around 245 full articles that are available somewhere, be it online, be it on the Marx kind of internet kind of archive, be mm-hmm. on Red Banner, um, or just anywhere, you know, in like old copies of the Corkin Walkers Club. There's around 200 and, and like 45 articles that have been and and speeches that have been republished in full. I've found at the last count, just I just checked before it came on, I'm at 789. Wow. On 789 on top of the 200 or including the 200? doesn't really matter, I it's, suppose. It's including them. So it's around, what, 500 more? Wow. And that's articles well, and speeches and... It's mainly articles. Now, some of that is going to be the first come publications of Labour in Irish history, which I think are important because um, people think that Connolly wrote Labour in Irish history in like 1910. He didn't. He he started writing it in 1897. Um, I found, in fact, the very first um, version or kind of summary of Labour in Irish history, he published in a Polish magazine in April 1898. So Labour in Irish history first appeared in Polish. <laughs> I love it. Can I ask a question then on that? Because it's really interesting mm. to find that. But of those 500 additional pieces of uh, Connolly's works that you've found, how many of them, I hate using this phrase, but you used it first, how many of them are kind of known unknowns? And how many did no one have a clue about, do you think, that we haven't seen in 110, 120 years? Yeah. Um, like, there's a very handy list, which William O'Brien, uh, he, was, he was given charge of Connolly's writings. He did a list um, of all of the known articles, and he found 583. So this is the frustrating part. So we've known for about 60 years, 70 years, 
that is 583 articles. They, they are all in the National Library because what William O'Brien did, I now know, was that he didn't go, he didn't go out kind of looking for them. He was given all the newspaper clippings from James Connolly that, that Connolly had kept himself. So they're all in the National Library. So there's absolutely nothing stopping anyone mm. from publishing those 583. Of them, only 245 have been published have been, have been republished to date. So there's 583 that are the known knowns. Mm-hmm. Um, I have around 787. Wow. So I found roughly 200 extra, around, no, it's around 100 extra articles, speeches. Um, and something going back to 1891, his first writing ever was on money. Oh, which is and, a favourite subject of ours, of course. Yes, and it was a Marxist reading. He was in his 20s. Wow. And he gives a very clear, very concise Marxist interpretation of the money system. Give me a quick example. Give me a quick example, though, of, of how you found this stuff. Just give me one example of, of that search, of that process of where you, like you said you found that writing um, Labour and Irish history in, a, in, a, in Polish, in a, in a Polish magazine from, you know, give me another example of some of those unknown unknowns, the ones that no one knew about and where you found them and how you found them. And where have you been on this journey? Is it all, yeah. is, it on, is it online? Have you been on foot? Have you taken buses and tubes and, and trains? To yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been mainly online because if it lasts since since 2011, uh, the British Library has been kind of digitizing newspapers. And it digitized fully a very important one in terms of kind of James Connolly studies, which is the socialist. And it's it digitized in part forward, which he also wrote for, but it's only published it after he had finished writing for it from 1916. So um we know from the various books and kind of biogs, you would see kind of mentions of them. So I've been to Edinburgh because it's the only place where there's a copy of the Labour kind of chronicle. That was the first real kind of newspaper that he wrote for 1894. Um, I've been to London, uh, to the British Library. I've been to Oxford. I was, I'm just back from Oxford. And in Oxford, I was there because they have access to some of the American journals that he well, had, I was going to ask for. about the American period as well, about how difficult has it been? Have you found loads of stuff from the American period? It's just it's just incredible. Even last night, I found another four articles, wow. just just from there, like, you know. Um, so I mean, was he, was the, he a, Would you call him a, was he a prolific writer? Obviously, he was a prolific was, activist, and, but did he write a lot then? I mean, did he write... Hugely, I mean, it's up to it's roughly one million words is is what I've transcribed so far. Wow! So, uh, and that's what I've actually kind of transcribed. Now that's that's down to AI. Uh, thank you, kind of Google Lens. Um, <laughs> but I have a database of close to one million of of kind of James Connolly's words, and uh, he wrote more than Shakespeare. He wrote more than the Bible, and um, like it's like. I also went on to I find my past. I think, I'm, I think I'm putting that on a T-shirt in this year. Thanks for that. <laughs> That's going yeah. on a T-shirt, you know. Uh, but right, um, back to that question about the American stuff. Will it? Will it? Uh, at some point, you're going to have to go to the states. Do you think to do a bit more digging, or is most of their stuff, as you said, digitized online? Have they caught up with themselves, or is there still I think, to discover? I, th- I think I've. I think I've kind of sourced all of the newspapers that he wrote for. Uh, what I need. To go to the states for is the speeches and the lectures. Um, like there's there's papers in like New York, Boston, Canada, 
fuck you, kind of uh, James Connolly. <laughs> He's made it worse for me. I never thought of kind of uh, like Canada. So like a trip to New York is probably it's on the cards. But there are four articles that he wrote for a paper in Pittsburgh and they're in Berlin. Um, in the JFK kind of library in Berlin. So uh, so I'm over to Berlin, hopefully in, in November, to get those four articles. Once I get those four articles, I can say with some confidence I have all the articles. Mm. So in terms of all, like I found a new pamphlet, which is not listed, Home Trusts. At this stage, it's like at the start, it was, it was a bit of a rush finding new stuff. And at this stage, like I'm actually angry. Because uh, this should never have happened. This is yeah. disgusting. So you had kind of, and like Donald, Donald Clint Nevin's work is, he brought out a two-volume set of the Connolly's uh, writings. So there's the articles which were, which he labeled, the kind of political writings, and then there's the kind of pamphlets, which is missing even this one, Home Trusts. That, that's not even there. And he just, like, he basically just took him, like, he took, it's terrible work. It really is kind of terrible work. The two-volume CPI one, which is kind of collected works, um, that is basically just a facsimile of the four volumes that William O'Brien brought out. The O'Brian thing, yeah. The, it's, actually yeah. In the front, it's actually in the frontispiece, isn't it? When you look at it, it, yeah. Says, yeah. it starts off with the you know the, yeah. it's the William O'Brien bit. You know? but, and there's me thinking that was all the works of Connolly when I was a wee lad reading through this. I, exactly. Labour and Easter Week, a selection from the writings of James Connolly with introduction by William O'Brien. That's the frontispiece yeah. of the and, CPI. And, you know, and O'Brien, he edited, he took out bits that he didn't like. So oh. just forever kind of... Um, what, what, I mean, Connolly, politically, you mean? You mean ideological yeah, things? Absolutely, you know. Um, and also, any mention of Larkin, where Connolly would praise him, that was gone. Um, <laughs> like, I would know, I would question um, a lot of the kind of writings which has Connolly as a kind of syndicalist. I don't believe that at all. I, I think. Gonna, let me interrupt you. I was going to ask you that because obviously, you're talking about the collection and finding new things, but that's the big question, isn't it? What, what has it taught you? about Colin yeah. that contradicts the kind of common sense understanding of him in, in 2023 in Ireland? I think, like, there's a few things. One is that, like, Connolly, he's a journalist. And I think it's it's quite interesting. When he first went to the States in, in 1902, this is now kind of, it's all online. It's paywalled, but it's all online on, on kind of five my past. So you can get kind of, the kind of shipping lists and the it's the pasture lists. So Connolly's one for if fucking nineteen oh two, he puts down as his job um journalist. Um he was in Kerry in nineteen ninety seven and nineteen ninety eight covering the famine like conditions. I found more articles where he wrote Falkland local newspapers but didn't give his name. But I found them because he used the same text and was able just by searching to just to find that stuff. Um and he told people in Kerry that you know he's a journalist. This is all from Paul Dillon. Mm. He was a he did amazing work on this. He's the one who found the kind of Polish kind of article, uh, but he didn't get it kind of translated. Um, so Connolly, he saw himself as a journalist. When in the 1910 U.S. Census he's listed, he put down as his job journalist, and I think that really is kind of important because. What we have here now is not just kind of one million words of James Connolly saying, 
we need to fly this flag or that flag. This is a Marxist analyzing Irish society from 1896 until 1916. It is unique. You cannot get 20 years of any kind of Marxist kind of, you know, Marxist interrogation of Ireland in any yeah. period. It's it like it like it really is an incredible kind of resource. Um, well, does it say? I mean, does it tell us that Connolly's analysis as a Marxist of Ireland would, that he's even more a more important figure than we thought? I would say so because I mean, um, what you see is that um, like I have now all of the various collections that are there. Like what has happened is that people have used kind of Connolly to score points against each other. So you have the Workers' Party, Sinn Féin, Labour Party. It doesn't matter. Um, SWP, Socialist Party, Kieran Allen. It makes no difference. They will use Conor Connolly's corpse to throw lumps at each other, trying to prove or kind of disprove them, right? So in terms of actually looking at him as a writer and as a Marxist, that, that is kind of new. And as a Marxist, he belongs in the anti-colonial anti-imperialist kind of Marxism, which really kind of takes off in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s in Asia, um, in Africa, in Egypt. This is where Connolly belongs, in India. Um, he doesn't well, belong... That's, that's a quite important reframing, isn't it, of understanding him and his writings and his analysis. It's, it's incredible. I found this quote from the, from the African kind of Marxist uh, Krabal, I'm saying uh, his word there, but it was in one of the former Portuguese kind of colonies. And he wrote, this quote is, if you remove the Portuguese flag. Brilliant. <laughs> like it's almost word for word. Now, he didn't read Connolly. You know what I mean? Like, like he yeah. isn't like, you know, but he came to the same conclusion, but Connolly did 30, 40 years previous. So that's where Connie belongs. He belongs in that. And, you know, because he's looking at this kind of compador class, he sees what they are. He sees that their economic interests are tied to that. Like, there are no, there are no honest brokers when it comes to kind of Connie's writings. And I hope that this will start to kind of change that. Going back to the syndicalist thing, like I found a letter where he's saying that he he's writing to Care, Care Kind of Medicine, who was the, he was editor of the socialist in in like Glasgow, and their kind of correspondence needs to be kind of printed just as a standalone. It's a fascinating kind of theory mm. going back and forth. But he's saying that I've been in the IWW now for about two or three years and I've failed. I'm trying to get them to to take on kind of politics, but it's not working. <laughs> right? right. The whole yeah. the whole argument mm. is that Connolly went. With politics, joined kind of IWW, became a kind of syndicalist, and then brought that back. That's a self-serving argument because it's pushed by the Labour Party in mm -hmm. the 1920s and 30s because they don't want a James Connolly who said politics, you need to be kind of involved because they didn't get involved. Yeah. So, like, there's huge kind of there's huge kind of issues there. He like um there's lessons there for the modern trade union movement, particularly in my own there union is, in the United. There is. And also also, you know, I see people sometimes kind of, you know, talking about Connolly forming a kind of proto Leninist party. No, he wasn't. He actually hated all that shit because um he got born by the Socialist Party in the US. He was very inclusive. So mm. so Unfortunate, this goes back to people trying to fit Connolly into 
modes of Marxism that are formed in Russia or in Germany or kind of somewhere else. You don't. You Connolly belongs in the Irish condition. And he says this in Labour in Irish history. He tells us who he sees as his own antecedents. He mentions Brontair O'Brien. He mentions he, you know, you know, he mentions um these people. He says, This is where I belong. He tells him this, going back to the line that that's used about Connolly and his idea that he wanted people to go back to a Celtic kind of communism. Page seven of Labour in Irish history, he says this is his quote organically impossible. Yeah, it is, but they, but people don't care about what he wrote. It's all about scoring points. Brilliant. You know. So what I find in this that one is that you find out how funny he was. He was a really good writer. Yeah. Very funny, very very kind of sarcastic, um, very sharp. But it's that idea of that you have almost one million words analyzing Ireland in the pre-independence years, and he's calling it. He's saying you got to watch out for these people. His writings on on women are are absolutely fantastic. You know, um, he was like he was very much at the whole at the edge of it. Um, just. During the week, this is some of the new stuff I, you know, I found. I found two articles that he translated from Italian, from an Italian kind of socialist. Because when he goes to the states, he learns kind of Italian, and he was quite he was quite proud of his fluency. Um, um, Elizabeth Gurney Flynn, who we worked with in the US, talks about this, saying that um, there was one meeting and. They were talking, there was there was English speakers, there was Yiddish kind of speakers, and there was Italian speakers. And she says, who's the Italian speaker? I can't see anyone. And Connie goes, I will find someone and stands up and starts speaking fluent kind of Italian. I've never so, come, I've never come across that. And I've read, I mean, I've got fucking big, like every lefty nerdy mm-hmm. in Ireland, I've got a big collection of Connolly's writings and biographies. I've never read that, that he was a yeah, he's fluent and, and and speaking to the like. One of the reasons why I think kind of Connolly is so kind of relevant kind of today, and I was going to say this at the unveiling of the plaque, but it was lashing raining, so I just finished my talk early because everyone was just saying, "Shut the fuck up!" and I just <laughs> I just pulled the <laughs> pulled the cord, you know. But like, um, but he's he's relevant today because he was anti-racist, he was pro-migrant, he he was some kind of he learned Italian to work and fight for the cause of Italian migrants in New York. That's what he did. He actually learned the bloody language so that he could fight on their kind of behalf. When he came back here, he says, say no bad word against kind of migrants. He was, he was one himself. That's brilliant. Know? I love that. And just briefly, so people know this, because I know that um, other people tried to hijack the event, but tell, tell us about the unveiling of the plaque in Dublin recently, because that was another bit of your bloodhound, <laughs> dogged, dogged bloodhound work. Tell us briefly about the plaque and why it went up. Yeah, um, we had noticed our, well, sorry, I had noticed that there was no plaque in Dublin. Yeah, you don't anywhere. have to do the you don't have to do the Royal Wee when we know it was you. <laughs> okay, it's me. Um, see, that's the you know, it's 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 hard for the communists to say I. Right. But like, um, like I had noticed that you know there was there, there was no plaque in Dublin to kind of James Connolly where he lived, and I had found that there were two houses left standing where he did live. Um, the seventy South Lots Road and and twenty eight Fingal Street. That's off kind of Cork Street. And I found that, like, not even the family know about that one. I found that because uh, he was arrested in in 1899, and that's the address that that he was listed as kind of living at. 
Um, we just, and I just thought, I, I give us any way. I just thought, no, we, this, this has to be done. And uh, so we pushed and pushed for it. It took, it, it took about kind of 18 months. So I felt like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank and Redemption, just writing that one letter every week until, until all the books of the library kind of show up. And, uh, and we got it up. And it was really down to, well, it is kind of way because it was, um, it was also Kieran Perry really, really helped. I mean, he was right. on the committee and well, he... Fair, fair play to Kieran for that. He really, he really kind of pushed for that. And he, he, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't really kind of say much, but like, you know, he really, really you know, kind of pushed for that. But we got it up because like, again, even though there are things kind of named after him, it's not, it's not the same as saying that, no, he actually, li- like, he lived here. You yeah, know what I mean, he was. You know, he was story. working class. You know, like you know, he lived in a working class kind of area. He was working class. You don't get that from the other fucking leaders. You know. No, I. Th- but also, I think that historical connection to bricks and mortar and places and streets and 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 areas where people lived and grew. I think that's absolutely crucial and vital to understand that. You know, usually mm-hmm. they lived a working class life amongst his own people. And um, yeah. just so everyone knows as well, it's been there's been a. A lot of work over the years trying to find out where Connolly's parents come from in um and me and Connor's on that one as well. We're doing a bit of a bloodhound. I know there's competition between a couple of townlands. We won't go into it at the moment, but uh, we're gonna do a field trip very soon uh with maps and compasses and we're gonna we're gonna find out the fucking the very, very place where we know we know where his mum's from. We're not too sure about their dad, but there is a pub see, there called there is see, a pub I'm, there called Connolly's. <laughs> I'm starting I'm starting now to like think that the link is with the mother's side. I think you might be right, mate. <laughs> and the fart is wrong because, um, like, I found a census con return which has the mother, someone who has the same name as the mother and the same age uh, in Scotland when at age two. I've got a feeling that the parents met in 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 Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, right. in everything that they wrote, they always said born in Ireland. So he was born in Ireland as well. But I think that they met in Edinburgh. And and they knew each other kind of growing up there, uh, and that would explain why there's no even a folk memory of the family in Monaghan because they were both sides were gone by. They were gone very early on, but we'll get by to, like 1840. You people know? can come. We can tune in for another podcast when me and Connor reveal yeah the geographical roots of of James Connolly and his family. But before we, I want to end on a couple of points here, Connor, and I will throw this one at you. But were there any um, writings you discovered, articles or speeches or whatever? That that you went fucking wow. And that is just I love that. I, I have not read that before. I haven't seen Connolly express himself like that before. I haven't heard the idea before. You mentioned the one about money, which is really interesting. Written as a young lad in his twenties. But are there any other kind of maybe that one is the one that you thought fuck me, this is really good. Or are there any other bits of writings where you thought fuck me, this is really good. I can't wait to publish this. I can't wait for other people to read this and understand this. Well, you see, at, at the moment, but for me, I mean, this has been this is now overwhelming because I, I I was not expecting to, to you know to find 500 articles which haven't been republished mm. and of them 200 which people didn't know about like so it is kind Amazing. of it, it's overwhelming I think what's interesting is that um what he, he he came to his ideas quite young he deepened his kind of understanding of his analysis as he got older but the fundamental principles are there in the 1880s, 1890s. Yeah, because it's kind of taught to us, isn't it? He kind of jumped on board the nationalist project late in the day, just as a kind of for expediency. You're saying, no, that's yeah, You're saying that that's is bollocks. that is that is absolute nonsense. Um, 
also like I found that he he spoke at a at a free the Fenian kind of prisoners uh, rally in in Edinburgh in eighteen ninety five. This is before he came. Oh yeah, like if you get into the Boyogs, Desmond Greaves did so much damage because like basically where Greaves if Greaves came across a blank space in like Connolly's life, he he just made shit up. Like the entire army stuff is all made up. Oh, is it? It's all made up. There is there is no evidence whatsoever. No, there's evidence that he was in the army because he told people he was he was in the army. But we don't know where he served, uh, how long he did, if he was in Ireland. He was in Ireland, it seems, because he told people he was. But the idea that he was in this regiment or that regiment, mm. uh, Greaves just literally made that shit up. He just made it up. So not only are you putting together an anthology of Connolly's collected works. Are we, are we talking biography as well? Are we talking about a revision of a biography here, Connor? In the I'd say, I'd say, because I mean, obviously, obviously, these bits and pieces of information are going to you're going to be able to accrete all of this information from where he was when he wrote certain things and when he said certain yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the story of his life, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, at this moment, like being kind of one million words, it's looking at like roughly kind of four or five kind of volumes, purely down to word pages, right? Yeah, wow. So I reckon that that um that for. for if for each one, there'll be a long kind of intro where we're going to get into this. But what I find is that he had come to, again, an anti-colonial, anti-imperialist, nationalist conclusion in his, in his 20s. And he never deviated from that. And all the other shit that falls around how, why did he become a, a kind of nationalist? Would you ask, would you ask Ho Chi Minh that? <laughs> They would laugh at you if you if you told if you said to the Vietnamese, "What you need to do in in Vietnam is make common cause with the French working class, and then form a Vietnamese French Commonwealth, and then that's your way forward." You know what I mean? Like, or you say to the, or or, or you say to you know Algeria, "What you what you need to do." is form common cause with the French working class, stay in France, and then work for a subsequent commonwealth of Algeria and France. Like, it's bullshit. That's not how capitalism works. It's not how colonialism works. And that's not how Connolly thought. No, it's not, because he had had come to the same conclusion as other anti-colonial Marxists had done. Now, even even Lenin comes to this late in the stage, and then... and then he dies. Stalin was actually a, a bit better on it. He understood. They make just a, a, just maybe because of his own kind of Georgian kind of background. But like Russia was still an imperial power, and the communism that came out of Russia, same as the Marxism that that comes out of Britain, is still influenced by that imperial Horses. kind of thinking, right? Horses, yeah. And yeah. still has that kind of. It still has that like. Like he wanted. Yeah. I've always said before that, and I, and I understood that the Marxism or the socialist ideas that that emerge from the imperialist core is different from that that emerges in the periphery. Exactly, exactly. And and Connolly, because he's born in Scotland, uh, he's speaking English and kind of Italian fluently. <laughs> he he spoke some German and kind of some French, but apparently he was fluent. Well, he translated, and I have the evidence now. Yeah, tell me, tell me, you had a couple of words of Irish. <laughs> Money kidding. <laughs> see, see, like, like you know, he. Very, very interestingly, all of his pseudonyms, he always used Irish, almost always used kind of Irish words. 
are names for his kind of pseudonyms. So did he, have, did he have a lot of pseudonyms when he wrote, did he? He had. He had about, there's about four or five which you know of. I found, I think I found a brand new one because I, I think I found his famous lost play, The Dick and Agitator's uh, Wife, and also two short stories. Wow. Because I, because I think I found a new kind of pseudonym for him. So, like, the cast of Only on. to be revealed on this podcast in about a month's time. She'll have to tune it, back in. It Connor's is. Not, Connor's not going to fucking tell you. <laughs> but, but, like, you know, but that's that's what I find kind of fascinating about his. He had come quite early, like in his 20s, to an anti imperialist, anti colonial one, and then knew what that meant in an Irish kind of context, and also tied it, but going back to the defenders and the white boys of the 1780s, even though he tells us. In labour, in Irish history, this is where I'm coming from. Mm. It was ignored, 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 ignored. He, people just don't listen to him. I could I could talk to you all day about this. I'm fascinated. And I know that everyone else who's listening is going to be fascinated, particularly those of us with a, an interest in of, of the world around us today in contemporary Ireland, but also how that emerges from the past and how that past has been retold and mistold to us from time mm. to time, particularly someone so central to, to the history of this um, country that as, as James Connolly and everything he did and said for us so it's fascinating and I know we're going to get you back I can only wish you well I know that the four or five or six volume work will be sometime in the in the making um, but I'm fascinated as well not just to read what we haven't been able to read but to to hit, listen to your analysis as well of, of what that tells us of, not just about Connolly and his role in Ireland but what it tells us about Irish Marxism and its tradition yeah. as well and its tradition being an Irish one yeah I'll I mean last, I'll leave the last word to you mate yeah you know on that like you know like where I differ with the other, I'm not the first person who said that it's time to publish all of Connolly's writings. The difference where I am today with those people is that I've actually transcribed it. I have transcribed, like, I'm not saying that I'm going to go off now and do this work. It's done. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here with a hard drive of, of one million words of James Connolly that is ready to go. It needs to be kind of proofread. It needs to be kind of footnoted, but it's ready to go. Brilliant. That's the difference. I actually have it now. It's just all that's stopping here. It's just finding the bloody kind of publisher. Well, I'm sure we can all get onto that. Uh, send your emails to Stevie at trademarkbelfast.com if you have any ideas about who's going to publish this. So we do have a couple of ideas in the pipeline. Connor, thanks so much for talking to us today. Fascinating stuff. We're absolutely going to get you back on to talk about this work when it comes to nearest, you know, well, you say it is practically complete, but when it nears publication. But also you're going to come back and Connor's going to come back and talk to us about the anthology of Irish Marxist writing, which I know is also working on in parallel to the Connolly Project. And some of the findings there are fascinating. And it also retells the story of Irish Marxism and Irish socialism in this country because of the things he's discovered about what people were saying uh, in the mid-19th and uh, late 19th century. Connor, thanks so much for li- I could listen to you all day, mate. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll speak to you all again soon. Slango for That, comrades, was Trademark Belfast. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you soon, either in the trenches or on the victory parade. Up the workers and Slango Foil.